the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Larry Weedykind. Hello, welcome to this episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. My name is Heather Mosher. I'm glad you're listening. So, I have a couple of very special guests on this show today. I'm really excited. We have a husband and wife duo together, Gay and Chris. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hello. So happy you guys are here. Um, We bring our listeners very relevant, current, real stories about recovery. And you guys have a very powerful story, so I absolutely wanted to have you guys on the show. Plus, y'all are like my best friends, so you have to, you know, come on my show. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Gay, you are the sober, recovered alcoholic of the pair. Yes, ma'am. And Chris, what are you? I am the... (laughs) Codependent that <laughs> dealt with gays drinking for 10 years. So you are the loved one that had to deal with the nightmare that was not sober gay for a long time. Exactly. Correct. Correct. But it wasn't always like that, and it didn't start off like that. Of course mm-hmm. not. Yeah. All right. So back up. How many years ago, how did y'all meet? Um, well, we met. Um, so I had just kicked out uh, baby daddy number two. <laughs> okay. Um, and so I had my own condo, but I knew that on one salary I couldn't afford it. So I got a second job working for my mom at their bar slash restaurant. Okay. So you're a bartender. Yeah. So my first night back at work, uh-huh. single, you know, uh, this lovely gentleman comes <laughs> slantering through. And I always like a guy with a good slanter. A slanter. Slanter. He had a good like swagger. Like he owned swagger, like he owned the place. I'm like, mm, you know, my little spidey senses went off. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think he ended up staying with me that whole night, helped me close. We talked until like two, three in the morning and then finally closed. I think... It was Mother's Day the next day, right? How many years ago was this when, the, when y'all got together? This was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. So, yes. okay. And so, Chris, you were just in a bar, you were hanging out, having a good time, and you thought, man, this waitress is cute. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had become friends with her mother and uh, had never met her, but saw her behind the bar. And so I turned to her mother and said, hey, what's up with that over there? <laughs> and... She introduced her as her daughter to me, and I was like, oh, so. And like she said, we pretty much spent the whole night together. Y'all, y'all would say you hit it off right away. Chemistry, mm-hmm. yeah. just lots oh, in yeah. common. And this yeah. was out in California, right? Yes. That's where y'all met in California? Yeah. But Chris, you're originally from Texas. Yes. Originally born in New Orleans, but spent most of my years in Texas. Okay. So. And Gabe, you were born in, o- in California. Oklahoma. I'm in Oklahoma. You're, you're in from Cal- Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm from California. Born and raised there. Yep. Moved here little over four years ago. Okay, so y'all hit it off. Life was great. Dating was great. Partying was fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you, y'all drank together, partied together. We drank together for sure. Okay. Yeah. How, how, did, how well did that go for a time? When did it start becoming where there was some clues that gay's drinking was different than your drinking? You know, we were together um, a couple of years. Uh, we were engaged for a, a year after the relationship started. And... Um, I think right when we were getting married, um, the clues started. And you know, one of the clues was like, 
there was an empty jug of cooking wine. And it's Ooh. like, uh, who drinks cooking, cooking wine? Cooking wine. Gabe uh, drinks cooking wine. Gabe sure. Drink and, <laughs> cooking wine. and then I started kind of finding empty bottles mm-hmm. stuffed here and stuffed there. So, okay. And actually walking down the aisle, I thought to myself, I might be marrying someone with a with a drinking problem. Okay. But you married her anyway. I loved her, but my my second thought was I'll fix that. I'll fix that, right? I'll fix that, yes. <laughs> there is a 12-step program from that for that you'll later find <laughs> in life. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes, for sure. All right, so y'all get married. Your drinking starts off problematic. Were, gay, were you drinking? When y'all got married, were you drinking like every day? Was it? Were you holding down your jobs anymore? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was uh, holding down jobs, um, and I need to say that I also used um, illicit substances okay. to keep the drinking kind of in check. Because remember, I'm working two jobs. I'm, you know, I have two small children, now have a fiance slash husband, you know, and then I think I also threw like school in there for a time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was so it was crazy. I mean, I'm sure from the outside it didn't look crazy, but in my head and what was going on was crazy. And if, if someone had asked you then, do you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, what would you have said? No. No? No. Absolutely. I like to have fun. <laughs> Just like to party. I'm a party girl. Right? So so you'll get married, you go on your honeymoon, things are going well, except gays drinking a little little suspiciously. What was What was one of the first major moments where you're like, I know that there's a problem here, something is off? Well, actually... Um it was it was finding just empty bottles around the house, okay. and um, it seemed like uh, anytime we went on any type of outing, um, I had the mentality that hey, we're done. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm done. Like I'm done partying. I'm you know I got to get up and go to work the next day. But it was always hey, can we stop at the liquor store? Mm-hmm. Gay wasn't and, done. Yeah, mm-hmm. Gay was not done. She was never done. And so. when when those instances would crop up, looking back. How did you handle it? How did you handle her wanting to drink more, her wanting to keep partying, you finding bottles around the house? How did you handle it at the time? I, I at first, you keep your mouth shut. You know, mm-hmm. you just kind of you you're not sure how to handle it exactly, and you don't want to make too many waves. You know, you don't want to um, start uh, all the scolding, and you don't want to. So at first, I I didn't really do much. I would mention it here and there. I would just kind of and then. Progressively, as time went on, uh, I started getting a little more insulting. Mm-hmm. I started to get a little more attacking. Right. Uh, and then I would scold her, and then whatever problems arose from that, I would fix those. Right. Expect her to act differently. <laughs> yeah. And then she didn't. So, and, okay, when your husband was scolding you about your drinking, did it work? Did it help you? Oh, no. How did you no. react? Um, well, I think that for a moment, like I would like kind of make that inner promise I'm going to do better but I I wasn't capable of it like I think that there was something in me that said I don't want to do this right but I was still doing it right does that make sense and you probably didn't believe you fully had a problem just yet you were just trying to get the husband to stop complaining right (laughs) and I would always you know there would always be an excuse right I would say oh yeah I'm not going to drink during the week like that was his thing he would always say why can't you just like we'll drink on the weekends and not drink during the week but then I would come home from work with a six-pack and go really bad day at work (laughs) right (laughs) right i always had an excuse for why i needed to drink right don't go anywhere we'll be right back after this quick break you're listening to relevant recovery radio 
You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio on KPRC AM 950 and on the iHeartRadio app. This is Heather Mosier. I work for Matthew's Hope. We are a detox and recovery program in downtown Houston. If you or a loved one uh, is suffering with substance use disorder, please give us a call at 844-263-4673 or visit our website, www.matthewshope.org. So my guests today on the show are husband and wife duo Gay and Chris. Gay is the horrible alcoholic (laughs) that is now sober, and Chris is the saint that had to put up with her. Exactly. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) All right. So before the break, we were talking about Chris trying to, you were really trying to arrange life to eliminate the opportunities for Gay to drink. 100%. I remember, you know, we ate out a lot, and one of the things that I would do is I would pick restaurants that didn't serve alcohol. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So Gay, you would drink before you went. Yeah, or we'd have to stop at the liquor store on the way home. <laughs> yeah. You know. Just one of my many ways of, of trying to control yeah. the narrative and, right. and her consumption rate. So. Right. And at this point, had, had you, you'd already been to treatment before you met Chris, yes? Uh, yes. In my uh, 20s, I think I was like 22, um, went to rehab, um, but I, I just had a drug problem. Okay, so yeah. drugs are the problem as long as drinking would be okay, though. Yeah. So that's where your mindset was for um, that chunk right. of time. Right. How many times total did you go to treatment? Mm, all of them. All like of them. Inpatient, outpatient, are we counting psych wards? No. Uh, just the treatments, probably about 14, I think. Okay, 14 and then a few different mental health walk-ups? Yes. Okay. And so I know from, I kind of know some of y'all's story already because y'all are my best friends, but there is this... Uh, escalation in everybody's drinking or drugging career and things start to become really serious and really unmanageable. What were some things that you can remember from when you're in active addiction and active alcoholism, these clues that you were like, wait a minute, I know I have a serious problem with alcohol. I know that doing X, Y, Z, this isn't actually normal or okay. Oh, um, well, when I started using the illicit substances to manage my alcoholism, right? Because then, you know, once you're using the illicit substances and you're not on the illicit substances, you feel like crap. Right. So, you know, so I knew that there was issues. I just didn't see a way out. Right. right? I had to be able to manage all this stuff. I had kids. I was involved in them. You know, being a wife, having a job. You got to keep it together. You had to keep it together until... Until you couldn't keep it together. I couldn't keep it together. And, you know, it's the the one thing that I kind of love about my story is, you know, you see the decline. Like like I'm going, you know, all the way. Right. (laughs) I'm going to burn my life to the ground. So it's first I lose the career and, you know, and then I get sober. But then I go back, you know, and then it's we move to the geographic you know, and then more consequences, CPS case, because mm-hmm. I was driving intoxicated with my daughter in the car, oh, and okay. she told on me. Oh, my goodness. How old was she? She was 14? I think 13. Yeah, 13. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, and then she left me, like, during a holiday, right? So, and then what ends up happening, right? I drive an hour and a half from home in a blackout and was arrested for DUI, and I don't I just remember coming to in jail. Right. Freezing. Free. Jail's very cold. And I had no shoes. I, I had, you had no, no shoes. shoes. I had no shoes. I had like on a tank top and a pair of sweats. Wow. 
And so, Chris, how are you dealing with this? You got two kids at home, uh, and, and you got an out of control wife that's driving drunk with your daughter in the car. Sure, I, uh, you know how how I was dealing with it is, um, you know, through anger, through you know the attacks continued. Yeah, but the enabling continued. I just expected her to act like an adult. Uh, after I would fix things. Yeah. That was my response. I didn't realize my helping was just enabling. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, the her drinking progressively got worse. Things, uh, I started to stay at work longer hours just so right. I wouldn't have to come home. Right. Uh, I didn't want to deal with it. When I did deal with it, I, I actually drank. You know, I drank, you know, a little just... Just to take the edge off from dealing with her. Absolutely, yeah. Self-medicating. You know, and I actually tried to self-medicate, you know, like I I think I drank for a week straight and I was like, there's no way I can do this right. anymore, like, because that's not who I am. So for our listeners to this podcast about recovery and, and hearing you, let's say that they don't have a problem with drugs or alcohol, um, but they're living with someone that does and they're really trying to navigate the the uncomfortableness of all of this. What would What's your advice today, being on the other side of it, as far as what's the difference, do you think, between enabling versus actually helping somebody? Yeah, I mean, the difference is, is you know, I today I help differently than I normally do. And what I don't do is I don't do for them what they should be doing for themselves. Right. You know, um, if they have bills to pay, I don't pay those bills for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't give them... You know, Gay had a unlimited ATM card. She mm-hmm. could do what she wanted when she wanted. Yeah. Um, you know, I took that away. Right. Uh, I, you know, I had to. It was hard for me to do it because, you know, it's hard to say no to your loved ones. Right. It's hard to go to make those really hard choices. But when I put it, am I hurting or am I helping? When I put it that way, it was easy for me to make the choice at that Got point. It. And, um, you know, I, I was, by me doing these things for her and not giving her the dignity of failing and succeeding on her own, I was stripping her of any self-worth she might have had. Right. I definitely get that. Because people that find recovery, that desire really has to come from within. And what I notice from all the people that we get to help uh, find recovery, the more a family member, a loved one, with good motives, good intentions, band-aids their life to pay for this or get them a car or continue to bail them out and not making them learn their own mistakes, the longer you're you're prolonging the inevitable. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I was definitely a roadblock in her recovery for sure for the better part of 10 years. So, so. so did you have to have her committed uh, to a mental place or into rehab at any point forcefully? Uh, n- no, not really. Um, there was an instance that happened, um, and this was in the throes of, of her addiction. Uh, it was actually th- it was actually Valentine's night, and uh, we had had a nice dinner, and I thought things were actually okay for the day. Mm-hmm. Um but um, I had she'd gone upstairs to go to bed, and uh, I noticed that she got up and ran into a wall, and I was like, mm. "What's going on with that?" And uh, I found a bottle of uh, sleeping pills on the ground, and it was empty. Oh. And I looked at the date, and it had been prescribed the day before. Oh, so you knew she took them all so, in the last twenty-four hours. Yeah, for sure. And um, and I had a minute of panic, and then my next minute was you know, maybe I should just let this happen. You know, she's mm-hmm. in pain, I'm in pain. 
we're both unhappy. Maybe the right thing to do would be just to let this let it play out. Let it play out. And And that's such a gut wrenching thing that you're I'm assuming, Gabe, that you were unconscious on the floor and your husband is debating letting this overdose play itself out because he's so tired. Right. But and you've got to think I can look back at that now. And that's that was my way out. That was my way to stop feeling so much pain from being a slave to drugs and alcohol. Right. Right. It literally is. And there's so many people that talk about it. You know, they may have everything on the outside, but they lay their head down every night going, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I'm okay." Because we're tired. You're just so tired of life. So tired and so tired of fighting and just so tired of the chaos that is an active alcoholic's life. Right. right? And especially the chaos in your head. And, you know, people like you and I that have the quote, luxury of being able to check out with drugs and alcohol. Your husband here was trying to hold everything together and and trying to figure out how to even help you. Right. And he doesn't have that luxury to be able to check out like that. So, Chris, you you didn't make that decision. You made a different decision. I made a different decision because, you know, I usually listen to that little voice in my head and it started talking to me. It said, you can't do this. You can't let this happen. Mm -hmm. So we rushed her to the emergency room uh, and uh, she was okay and she was in ICU and um, you know when I got to ICU she was crying and she said the only thing that was wrong was I got caught Mm. and uh, admitted to a 72 hour psych ward and I did everything in my power to get her out wow How, how powerful All right, so don't go anywhere. We're here with Gay and Chris on Relevant Recovery Radio. We'll be right back after this quick break. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier, and we're talking to Gay and Chris, husband and wife duo. She is the sober alcoholic, and Chris dealt with her. (laughs) (laughs) What does Donnie say? It's a hero's story. It's a hero's story. Chris is the hero and the saint in this story. Right, not in the devil. Okay, For Chris, sure. before we went to break, uh, it was, you know, about gay overdosing and, and you intervene, in, intervening and getting her into a psych ward. What happened after that? Uh, sure, I was still, you know, unrecovered and uh, my typical enabling, she was in pain and crying, didn't want to be in the psych ward. So I did everything to try to bust her out as oh, soon no. as I could. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, here I am, knight in shining armor. Once again, coming to the rescue. Rescue. You know, yeah. Instead of realizing this is where she needed to be. Right. Right. Um, I wanted to take that pain away, as we do with all of our loved ones, right. whether it's children or spouse or parents, we want to take their pain away. Right. And, and you was, couldn't. That was and, my, you... and I felt it was my job to do, and okay. I could not. Yeah. I definitely could not. So. And so you, you bailed her out of the psych ward. Yes. Yeah. Got, a, got a counselor, did everything they wanted us to do okay. in order mm-hmm. for for them to release her and make sure I made sure that she was in good hands. <laughs> okay. With you, uh, right? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I believe later that day she was drinking. Later mm-hmm. that same day you were drinking sure. again. Yeah. Wow. But you started going to a counselor mm-hmm. and, and did that relieve your alcoholism? No. All right. What was that like? No. Um, and one thing that I want to mention, and this is nothing against any mental health or medical professional that deals with us alcoholics and addicts, 
But me being in that psych ward, of course, I was prescribed medication because I was bipolar, right? But didn't I leave on medications? And that's why I also had to see the counselor to follow up on my medication my mental health and you know active alcoholism can look like bipolar (laughs) absolutely Um, it can look like manic depression Mm -hmm. you know um there's nothing clinically wrong with me now that i'm sober other than the fact that i was drinking and so i love that you and i have that similar thing and that's not everybody's story so we're not saying always right? right but you and i both identify that when we had untreated alcoholism we were actually so spiritually sick that those symptoms manifested looking like mental health disorders. Yes. And you and I were both diagnosed with different ones and medicated for that, and it didn't work, and right. it didn't help. <laughs> right. And then you you use this, well, for me, I used not only psych medications, where it, on the bottle, on the prescription bottle, it says, do not drink alcoholic <laughs> beverages, right? Yeah. So what or was I doing, heavy Chris? Machinery. Yeah, right. <laughs> but when, when it says uh, don't operate heavy machinery, I always think of like cranes and backhoes. I don't think of like, you know, my car. My right. car is fine. <laughs> A <I> blender. Can... <laughs> It's heavy, right? So we always follow there. So so you were drinking again the same day. Chris, what did you think? I I thought I, I couldn't believe it. You yeah. know, I was like, wow, you, this, you just had a suicide attempt and you went to a psych ward and you're drinking the very next day. Like, like there are no, I thought that there was no ends right. to her drinking at that point. And at this point, since you don't have your own program of recovery yet, what you don't know yet is that she can't not drink. Correct. I did not know that. I looked at it as she was weak. She had no willpower. Mm. She was choosing alcohol over her husband and her family. Yeah. Uh, that's what that's what I thought. And that's what any untreated uh, person would think right. that, um, you know, hey, it's just willpower. This is a choice for you. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Snap out of it. You right. know. So um, Chris became a private detective. <laughs> yeah. I was drinking and going to a counselor. So yes, what happened? I, well, I would definitely every <laughs> night or every day when I got home is I would go on patrol. You know, yep. I would I would go searching the house for empty bottles and because uh, I imagine you have no trust in her. At uh, this zero, zero, zero. Actually, it's kind of funny because I was already scheming my way out of this relationship. You know, mm. I, you know, she would write me notes and talk about her drug use and alcoholism. And I would save those because I was going to use them in a court of law. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I kept them. I kept a drug test that I gave her. I, wow. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to think yeah. about to this day yeah. the things that I did. But, um, yeah, I went on patrol and I found drugs in the house. And um, she had a, a counseling appointment uh, that day. And I called her counselor. <gasps> and I said, I need to talk to you. And I went there. And I showed her the drugs yeah. and I said, I, so I told on her, you know, I was <laughs> right. like, hey, you're in trouble. And I'm sure you were pissed at, at the time. <laughs> um, I or did you even know? I didn't even know about you didn't it. Know. Right? Okay. I didn't even know. That's a good counselor then to not yeah. violate. Okay. Yeah. But wow. Yes. I, I think a lot of loved ones can really identify with their alcoholic or drug addict loved one making them the normal person break from like a moral compass at times or sanity at times and you would do things that you absolutely wouldn't normally do oh yeah it'll definitely turn you into a different person you know just because sure and just (laughs) i made you crazed it it makes you well it it makes you feel abandoned you know and it makes you feel very lonely. lonely um and that's definitely what I experienced. But, you know, I got to the counselor. I did my part. I was going to 
once again, fixed gay. Right. What the counselor say? And the counselor reached into a uh, her desk and she pulled out a uh, a directory for twelve step meetings for people that you know were dealing with loved ones that drank. Right. And then she told me to get out of her office. <laughs> I love what this this counselor did for you though cuz oh, absolutely. You actually yeah. did. You went, you made the call. I went so well, I was so angry that I went home and I packed a few bags and went to a hotel. Mm-hmm. And I went to a meeting the very next day. Okay. And I was at that point I was broken, so I was just I was ready to try anything. Mm-hmm. And I got to the 12 step uh meeting and um it's a bunch of old ladies knitting, I think. Oh, and, no. Uh, and, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but I immediately felt relief when I got there. Okay. For whatever reason, but I was always a problem solver, or at least I thought I was. And then you're in a room with a bunch of other problem solvers. Yes, and, and you know, and they said there's no crosstalk in this meeting. And mm. I was like, what? wait, I how, do I sol- how do I solve my problem <laughs> if there's no crosstalk? I got to ask you things. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, you know, no, no, this is not going to work. We got to talk about so this. So right away, you had people really uh, schooling you, teaching you, guiding you on um, healthy behavior versus unhealthy behavior right in the rooms. Sure, sure. That word control came up real fast. Okay. Like, um, you know, <laughs> and I was just living under that illusion that I thought I could uh, control an outcome, that I could control the narrative, and that I could control gays drinking. Okay. Like, um, that was a complete illusion um, and, and I did, and I started also learning about alcoholism and that it is a disease and, and that it wasn't really her fault. So it started to change my perspective right away, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I started to have compassion instead of anger for gay, I started to have compassion. Okay. And, um, had you worked any of the steps yet at that point? Not, not quite. Just no. being a part of the fellowship no, and learning. Being, just being part of the fellowship, having people reach out, um, because I felt safe in those rooms. Right. Um, I still feel safe in those you rooms. You finally had your relief. Yes. It, there was relief, but not much recovery. Right. I just, I okay. felt safe. They loved me unconditionally. There was no judgment. So I can just, I could sit there and, um, you know, and I definitely used the group to hang on to. Right. You know, I clinged on to them. And, um, I really wasn't doing any of the footwork or the things I needed to do. Right. Um, so I would go there once a week. I would get relief and things would be good for a few days. And then I would get back to the old behaviors, right. you know, the old enabling, the anger, the the insults, the verbal attacks. I mean, Gabe went through so much. She put up with so much verbal abuse from me. Um, you know, it's just... Because still, still drinking. Still drinking. Yeah, this was... This was, uh, I, I believe I found uh, 12 Steps about three three or four years prior to her okay. getting sober for the last time. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you had to do some spiritual action. And Chris, as the husband, you had to learn that gay may be powerless over alcohol, even though she wasn't ready to admit that yet. But you were powerless over gay. For sure. And for that's sh- that's the basis that you worked the 12 Steps on. For sure, yes. Um she did have another uh, suicide attempt where at that point she was in ICU for a couple of days and um, another psych ward and another psych ward. And then we convinced her that rehab 
was something that she needed to go to. No, no, an no. inpatient. Psych ward told me, you will not go home. You will stay here in the psych ward. And I mean, there are crazy people in a psych ward. Did yeah. you know that? Mm-hmm. And and addicts and alcoholics, they don't belong they don't there. there. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they do. Sometimes, sometimes they do, sometimes right. Sometimes there's, there's a mix. Right. They were like, you're either going to stay here with the crazy people or you're going to go to rehab. Okay. So you made the choice to go to rehab. Yes. Was that the last time you went to rehab? No. <laughs> okay. Man, alcoholism, right? Mm-hmm. It's so crazy to look at my experience, your experience. I went to treatment five times. You you went multiple times. And it's like there's some pieces that we don't realize that we're missing, it, always coupled with a level of willingness or desperation, even the information, right? If we can learn all the information about alcoholism, you can learn about the allergy and the obsession and all that. But if you don't have uh, that gift of desperation where you're really willing to. But Chris, at that point, you did. You you were very desperate and willing to latch on to the help that was being offered to you. Yeah, for sure. Okay, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. Our husband and wife duo, Gay and Chris. Welcome, guys. Hi. All right. So, Gay, before the break, you were talking about uh, going to yet another psych ward, and the psych ward says you're staying here or you're going to treatment. Uh-huh. So you chose to go to treatment, and then you did stay sober for a period of time after that one. How I long? Did. Uh, I think I had seven months. Seven months, and Chris, you're still working your program, your fellowship. Uh, not very well, but yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying. I'm still have my uh, defective behavior, which was trying to control the narrative, uh, trying to control the outcome, which was, you know, what I mentioned to her after she did 30 days was, hey, don't worry about anything. I'll take care of everything. Oh, it's your no. job to stay sober. You're putting her in bubble wrap. I was yeah. in a bubble wrap. Oh, no. But what does, what does uh, an alcoholic do that has nothing but time to be stuck in their head all day mm. what eventually happens they drink again exactly mm-hmm. yeah because your mind's like a bad neighborhood you right. shouldn't be there alone for very long at all Mm-mm. no and so you did after seven months yeah and well and here's another thing that they always tell you not to do don't make any major decisions in your first you know year or whatever and and, and this you know i wasn't spiritually fit but uh chris was offered a job transfer promotion um to los angeles we lived in um, northern california up by san francisco Ooh, and i'm like oh yeah, la let's do it you know clean slate i'm sober you know this is gonna be fabulous oh but in the meantime he goes down there and me and the bubble wrap is home alone yeah and the bubble wrap left and yes. the bubble yeah. wrap had to and go check left, out yeah t- that was keeping me you know, and I was going to meetings and I was, you know, I had a spon- I, I'm using air quotes Spons- sponsor. <laughs> right. But you had done no spiritual work. Really. I had done no spiritual work. And so all. did you drink again while he was gone and you were in northern California? Mm-hmm. OK. And Chris, you came home to what? Yeah, just, you know, I came home to that sick, twisted feeling in my gut. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was it was immediate. It's it happened was again. like, yeah, it's happening. 
Yeah. What am I going to do? And so I know that y'all did move to L.A. because mm-hmm. I know that that's where you got sober. I did. What? How How did you finally get sober? Was it the the saint across from me here? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Boop you on the it's head. all him. No. <laughs> um, so we moved to L.A. And of course, he is like, you know, you got to. So I went to inpatient or not inpatient, but outpatient treatment. OK. You know, and he would come with me. But I'm drinking and going you're drinking while going to IOP yeah mm-hmm. drinking while going to IOP I think uh what ended up happening so that lasted about nine months so okay. like I said I was drinking taking my daughter and picking my af- daughter up from school she called uh or she told her school counselor CPS was called on me mm. and it was right around Christmas time and she wanted to go spend time with her dad okay which this is a kid that's been with me every day. She's mine. Right. Right. And she didn't want to have anything to do with me. Yeah. So I kind of went off the rails. I guess I went shopping and driving in a blackout. On you said, I guess I did because you don't remember. I don't know. This just is told what that. I've been told. Um, he found shopping bags. Right. Or no, I think I might. Anyways. Um, so <laughs> I drove, what, two and a half hours from home in a blackout, oh, was wow. arrested for DUI. I believe I was sitting at a gas station when I was arrested. And wasn't this like Christmas Eve or something? It was Christmas Eve. Yeah. Oh, Christmas so Eve. I kind of like I get pictures of it, of little things that happen. Like I remember them tapping on the window yeah. of my car. <laughs> Ma'am, step out yeah. of the car. <laughs> um, so... I kind of come out of it, and I'm in jail, freezing. It's Christmas. I finally wait. Do you get, have shoes this time? I did not have shoes. <laughs> You're just a shoeless Californian. Yeah, this was it. <laughs> uh, so he, um, I think they called him, right? And we ended up talking on the phone. So of course he's got to drive two and a half hours to come get me, right? So I walk out of this jail. They release me to him, and he just hugs me, and he goes. We'll get through this right and of course i lost it and it's like the longest drive home two and a half hours mm-hmm. in silence right on christmas and you know that everybody says that i had that moment of clarity and something happened where it's like you're gonna either keep doing this for the rest of your life living this miserable existence or you're gonna do something different and I think when I finally got home, I said to him, I said, I need to go to rehab again. Okay. You know, and I. And you were will this this was a choice by you at this point for really wanting it for you. Exactly. Exactly. And I knew that I had to be because there was a liquor store right on the street. So I knew that I had to be somewhere where I could not get to liquor. So, I needed mm-hmm. to be separated. Physically separated for Physically a time. Physically separated. And so you went to a place that was 12 step based and they got you. Uh, educated on some things and you realized that you needed to actually do some action mm-hmm. in order to stay sober that just going to residential alone was not enough not enough right and the, the one of the things that we always talk about that was like such a good powerful thing for us is they would have this family group mm. to where you kind of got to do your eight and nine with your family members him and wow. my daughters and that was a lot of getting the garbage out of the way and um, the other, like, you know, I always say God shot in my life is my counselor was a black belt Al-Anon. She wasn't okay. an alcohol- a recovered alcoholic. She just she knew how Al-Anon, to deal with you. Right. And so whenever I would and I behaved badly in rehab, of course. <laughs> right. I'm right. an alcoholic who needs alcohol. Right. So we behave badly. So I behaved badly 
I called him, come and get me, mama, you know, and I'm throwing my little fit. I'm in my 40s, guys, and I'm throwing a fit in rehab, right? So I call him. He's going to come rescue me, right? Oh, no. And my counselor calls him and says, if you come get her, you're going to kill her. What an amazing counselor that had the guts to tell you that truth. Right. For sure. And you're three or four years in your 12-step program at this point. Correct. So you're learning a lot from them, and you realized I'm playing a part in my wife's death if I don't do some things different, too. Correct, yeah. And I had already started stopped the enabling uh, you know, I took away the credit cards. I right. took away the ATM. I was sort of making her adult, and she didn't like that very much. <laughs> so, But that was the magic formula. It was. Absolutely. It super was. And You when became I, a recovered alcoholic. I know. When I got released, you know, his thing was, you know, you've got like, I think it was 60 days you gave me to get a job. Mm-hmm. I'll give you spending money or whatever, but you have 60 days to get a job. You know, you have, these are your bills. You know, these are all old hospital bills and stuff that I owed. He's like, you need to pay these, right? And he started laying down the law and that coupled with, you know, that inner, that I I wanted something different, mm-hmm. you know? And so you worked the 12 steps finally that time. Mm-hmm. You got a sponsor and you worked all 12 steps yeah. and the desire to drink left you. It did. And it hasn't returned? It has not. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I, I'm getting goosebumps right now because I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I'm, I have eight and a half years sober. And to me, that is just, I just can't fathom it. Mm-hmm. I cannot fathom it. And that life seems so different. And the relationship that I have with him That's is... what I was going to say. I know you guys. And so um, it's rare, but y'all have a really fantastic marriage. Mm-hmm. And you, okay, you've been sober eight and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that means you've been in your 12-step program for family 11. members, 11 or 12 years. 12 years, yeah. yeah. And you worked their steps and you help yeah. other people. And y'all are both fully active in a spiritual program of recovery. Mm-hmm. And y'all have a fantastic marriage. Mm-hmm. How the it heck is. did that happen? It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, when you when you go through the 12 steps, you're forced to look at yourself, yeah. you know, and you, you're forced to, to look at the defective behavior. You're forced to clean up your past and you're forced to, to amend your life, you know, to start changing it for the better. Um, you know, you find something that gives you that gives you hope and faith. Right. And uh, and if you work it and you're brutally honest about it, you know, your life will change no matter what. Right. One thing that y'all do together that I think is super cool is y'all have this like Buddhist meditation thing that y'all love going and doing together. Like I get to see y'all grow spiritually together. For sure. Yeah. For whatever reason, you know, meditation is part of the 12 steps. And, and I believe both of us are very drawn to it. And we also draw a lot of parallels with 12 steps when it comes yep. to it. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really grateful for y'all's life and sobriety and for being on here with me today. This has been a lot of fun. It was fun. Thank I you. I was guys. really nervous. <laughs> no, y'all did great. Thank you for being on. And to my guests, thank you. And to the listeners, thank you. Uh, you've been listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We are KPRC AM 950. And you can download the app on iHeartRadio app. It's free. And download and listen to all the Relevant Recovery podcasts in the past. Thank you. I'm Heather Mosher. See you next time.